football in the snow as we hit record on this week 12 preview and the only thing that I can even begin to think about is how miserable it would be to play in that snow and I want your thoughts on this as we welcome you to week 12 the preview here on the three technique college football podcast at the intersection of the X's nose and the Jimmy's and the Joe's along with Trey Reeves Garrett Turney I'm Mitch Mason uh, guys, is, is playing in the snow actually fun, or is it just something that is really, really cool to watch on our TVs from our heated households once a year? Okay, so I seriously want to jump in on this one. I loved playing in the snow when I was a kid. Uh, obviously, like everyone loves playing in the snow, just whatever else, but when it comes to football in the snow, like there's one day in middle school where it snowed really hard. We got the call that nobody was going to school the next day. So everybody started texting each other saying, here we go. Get your cleats, get the field in the morning, we'll play. And it was just the messiest, most fun I've ever had playing football by myself. So uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. I'd love to be out there. Obviously, I mean, you know, it's still action. So that's, you know, kind of another sure. tweak there. But I, I just, man, get me out in the snow. Get me playing some ball and that stuff. I'll take it every single day. As a South Texas boy, born and raised, uh, I I never really got to play any organized sport in the snow. Um, Had a lot of rain games, had a lot of wind games, had a lot of, you know, really cold games, but never snow. I did play in a baseball game one time where there was sleet that started to fall, and that was absolutely miserable. So, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I I love watching it. I think it would be fun to play football in the snow, but almost any other sport, I can't even imagine trying to play almost any other sport in the snow. Yeah, if you've played a sport in the snow, uh, write in the show. Let us know at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. You can write the show uh, through email form as well, 3TechPod at gmail.com. Please weigh in on this because for me, I fall firmly in the camp that like, Garrett, if in middle school as you're a kid, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun to play in the snow. Now... Watching Western Michigan and Central Michigan, you know, basically have to do high knees through the pile of snow at the 20-yard line, that doesn't look like that much fun to me. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of torn on, See, on that. But the thing about that is, I haven't thought about that whatsoever because I haven't even experienced that as an adult. Now I've got knee problems and joint issues all over. I'm sure that I would take one bad turn, tear my ACL, and hate it. But <laughs> I mean, you know, I just don't have to think about that. I can just remember the fond memories as a kid. Yeah, and that, that's what it's all about, right? That's <laughs> that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get uh, we'll get some people together next time it snows Please. here in Dallas and try to figure this out. That's right. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the hilltops not being used. We can just traipse on over to SMU's campus. Um, you know, if if uh, the twenty yard line inflated like a balloon with that rain we got this summer, I wonder what would happen to the field if it snowed. Um, that that could be could be a fun experiment. 
just do not spray the field with water. That that's one thing. Oh like, do not please do oh not spray gosh. the field with water. <laughs> Shout out Arkansas's grounds crew who thought that yeah, the way that you melt snow and ice when the temperature is under freezing is pour water on it. It made it worse. They they got so lucky that the sun came out for an eleven a.m. game. Boy, had the sun not come out. That would have been real interesting to see what they ended up doing. But yeah, I'm uh, sure they put hot water on their windshield when it freezes over too. Sure, sure, of course. Um, guys, let's let's dive in here right off the top. We have another edition of the playoff rankings. Uh, chalk holds in the top four: Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. Nobody moves there. All four teams ten and zero. Where I'd really like to spend the majority of the time talking about this uh, before we dive into our games of the week. You look at seeds. Five through ten, and even further, if you're Trey and I, uh, one baby blue, Tar Heel blue team has been left out of the top ten again. Um, but you've got Tennessee, LSU, USC, Alabama, Clemson, Utah are the top ten. Uh, Penn State, Oregon, North Carolina, eleven through thirteen, just for the sake of the game. And I've got a couple of questions here that I, I want us to have our discussion guided by. First of all. Seeing a lot of buzz with this new batch of rankings that there is a very real possibility, if things all go the right way, that the SEC could get three teams in. Want your opinion on that. How does the Big Ten get two teams in? Second scenario. And then Trey, for the love of all that is green on God's beautiful earth, why are the Tar Heels not even inside the top ten? Like, please make that make sense to me. I mean, we talked about the Tar Heels schedule last time and we kind of hit that home, but goodness gracious, the only thing keeping them out of, you know, top five is a loss to a top 20 Notre Dame. They, I, I could point to a couple teams that are ahead of them, Penn State in particular, sure. and sorry, Garrett, but Utah in particular, that just really, really do not deserve with the resume on paper, do not deserve to be ahead of North Carolina at this point. And I feel like the playoff committee year over year, especially really can't decide if this ranking is who has the best shot at the playoff or who is the best team. Because if it's who's still alive in the playoff, UNC absolutely needs to be higher up on this list. If it's who's the best team, then yeah, you can look at UNC's defense and maybe their schedule and formulate an argument that some of the teams ahead of them are better teams, but man, I don't know. Like, I, I don't even know if I can do that for teams like Penn State and yeah. Utah. Because if you want to talk about soft schedules, who has Penn State beaten? Like <laughs> Auburn that barely you know, <laughs> scored 10 on Texas A&M this week. A really bad Texas A&M team. Like who has, <laughs> who has Penn State beaten? Like why, why are they number 11 in the nation? It just, it's not really something that I want to spend a whole bunch of time on this podcast. But sure. We're doing the Tar Heels dirty, and no one seems to be talking about. They're even an afterthought on the playoff show as they're sitting there with one loss, already clinched a spot in their conference championship game. And are the Tar Heels going to get in? No, they're not. But they should be talked about as someone who's mathematically still alive. To me, what the most interesting thing is with UNC, and I agree with everything you said, so I'm not going to beat that drum. We'll we'll move on after this. But to me, what's what's even interesting is and I know the criteria would change. I know that uh, the selection process would change a little bit. They're not even considered to be in 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 the future iteration of the twelve team playoff. Like that's the most insane thing. That's like 
And that's what makes me very nervous about this future 12-team playoff because I think we're starting to think that, you know, this will solve all the problems, but we're still going to have a committee and we're going to be trusting them to make even more uh, minute decisions, right? Like we, we barely trust them to get the top four right every year. Now we're going to ask them to get all the way down to 12. <laughs> it's auto bids, obviously. And UNC yeah. has a control your own destiny situation for a 12 team playoff where if they won the ACC championship, they would get in. But yeah, like you're telling me they're not a top 12 team and they're sitting there at nine and one with a Heisman front runner at quarterback. Yeah. Like what are we doing? Well, my biggest issue here, you know, I'm looking at these rankings. This is the first time I think as a fan of an SEC team, I totally get why people complain about SEC bias. How on earth do you have you have Tennessee, LSU and Alabama all sitting there from five to eight? And you're telling me that none of these teams below them. You guys want to talk about North Carolina. I totally agree with you guys there. But like, let's not pretend like Oregon wasn't just a great team. Yeah, they dropped a game, but they're eight and two, just like Bama and just like LSU. And you're going to tell me that they wouldn't beat either of those teams who both looked pretty susceptible at times, despite the fact that, you know, Oregon, their offense has been really good. They put up a good showing and a loss to Washington. So I don't know. I just uh, I've got my issues with this one. Obviously, I'm with you guys with UNC. They need to be top 10. That's just insulting that they're not. But uh, it's it is what it is with this playoff committee. And, you know, I'd. I think they put a little too much on the eyeball test and we'll address this a little bit with sort of some bias too, but I don't think those eyeballs always see the right thing. I'm I'm curious to see if there's any deviation from this current path, right? If what happens if North Carolina wins the ACC, what happens? I Are they, are we going to see, because clearly Clearly, the committee doesn't value what they've done so far. I don't think, and I need to pull up their schedule real fast. I, I don't think they have any sort of, you know, impressive test in these last two weeks. They have North Carolina State next week, and that's going to be possibly a tricky rivalry game. A tricky rivalry game, but with a backup quarterback and a UNC team that, I mean, a UNC team, a North Carolina State team that might not even weather this week. Um, I'm obviously doing this on the fly, live radio, which is is always bad radio, but uh, trying to find who North Carolina State plays. They play Louisville. Louisville's offense has looked really good the last couple weeks. And so you're telling me that NC State, who they are not favored, by the way, Louisville is favored in that game, with a backup quarterback who is ranked, if they win that game, sure. Then North Carolina, if they beat North Carolina State, awesome. But even then... How many spots are you moving them up? Assuming everybody else goes chalk, Clemson wins out, they beat South Carolina in the finale. Like, what changes in their mind to move North Carolina up to where all of a sudden, if UNC runs the table, wins the ACC, and there's a chance for them to be in the playoff, you're legitimately talking about the playoff committee having to wipe the egg off their face and move UNC six-plus spots on on selection sunday i mean this this seems like criminal mismanagement to me yeah and that's where i'm thinking you know you have some teams that are pretty much mathematically eliminated ahead of them you've got penn state you've got utah you've got alabama is north carolina a better team than alabama on a neutral field any given saturday probably not but when it comes to you know just the optics of who has a shot at this 14 playoff 
Alabama's done. Alabama is toasted. They're not getting in. So having them at number eight, even if they are the eighth best team in the country, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it it, it just really doesn't make sense. Because if we're talking about just the most talented teams in the country, then put Alabama at two, right? Like if you're just talking about who's talented and the results actually don't matter, put them at two because they're probably the second most talented team in the country. Yeah. Bump UNC ahead of Oregon, Penn State, and Utah. Like at the very least, just put them inside the top 10. And that, from an optic standpoint, you just don't have as much egg on your face, like you said, Mitch. If they went out and you have to put them in that number four spot. That would be a catapult up the rankings. Uh, There's two other questions. Are are we back to thinking the SEC gets three teams in? Trey, you're, you're shaking your head no. Garrett, you're also shaking your head. So just walk me very quickly through why that is... Uh, even though it's a popular internet rumor right now, or at least a school of thought, why that is not shared by you guys. I kind of just think that the only SEC team right now is Georgia that has a chance of getting in. I know we want to think that a two-loss LSU conference champion has a real shot there. And maybe the way that the committee's thinking about things, they do. But I, I just really I don't see how a two-loss team makes it in this year with as many good one-loss teams as there are. You'd have to have, I mean, I think the way that this would have to finish out was you'd have to have, you know, Michigan or Ohio State losing badly, like really badly in that game. You'd have to have probably Tennessee dropping another one. You'd have to have USC probably not finishing undefeated. Clemson and UNC need, one of them needs to be another loss before they get their conference champion because I just kind of don't see how you can keep that many conference champions with one loss out for a team like LSU and with Tennessee, the, the issue really for them is just the fact that they're going to have the same situation as Ohio state or Michigan. And I think with the, the more recent and then versus maybe the the better team, I think by the time these rankings are finished, I, I just kind of think that that's going to go their way for the big 10 team, as opposed to for Tennessee. So I just kind of think your only option here really is Georgia um, for the sec. I, I think Georgia's in, and I think as long as they don't stub their toe before the SEC championship game, they're playing with house money in the yeah. in Atlanta, and they're just playing to kind of add the extra banner that they didn't get last year for all intents and purposes, <laughs> right? But I'm really concerned about the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game. I am really concerned that the loser of that game will have lost too late in the season. Mm-hmm. And not not you know not trying to get in a debate on who's actually better, but I'm just you know the optics of losing that late in the season, getting your shot at a playoff team that late in the season. I'm worried about how the committee is going to treat that. And if you have an undefeated ten, uh, TCU and an LSU team that you know runs the table and knocks off Georgia in Atlanta. I think the odd man out is the loser of that Ohio State-Michigan game in that situation. And I'm also concerned. I I don't see the path for Tennessee. Like, I'll be honest. I know Tennessee fans are, you know, pointing to the head-to-head win over LSU. They're pointing to, like, all this stuff. But we just really don't have a history. We really don't have a, you know, anything to point to of a situation where a two-loss conference champion out of the SEC is getting compared to a one-loss team that beat them pretty badly on the field from the other division. Like, we just don't have a history of that. We have no idea how the committee is going to treat that. But what we do know is the committee really likes conference champions. So I think the max for the SEC 
is two with LSU winning out. And I think that's where the max stops. I don't think there's any way they possibly get three. But if you're Ohio State or Michigan, whoever loses that game really needs to be looking over their shoulder against uh, at LSU yeah. and probably USC um, yeah. as they're going to be competing with them for the four spot. Yeah, I think a second Big Ten team needs t- TCU to lose. They need uh, USC to lose um, just to make it, and, and, and LSU to, to lose in the SEC championship game, right? Like you've got to eliminate all the contenders in order to sneak in as that four spot. Um for Tennessee, gosh, guys, it feels like Texas A&M from 2020, where it's like, hey, awesome season, but you kind of lost the one that really mattered, and because of that, we're going to hold it against you. Even though it was weeks ago, even though you closed your season impressively, um, sorry, you're not getting the invitation to the ball. And, you know, I mean, listen, not to to rip the Band-Aid off old wounds, but, you know, that Texas A&M team was better than that Notre Dame team. They were. Uh, but the committee decided to honor a Notre Dame team that beat a Clemson team that did go to the playoff, and they held it against A&M that they didn't beat Alabama and lost by multiple scores. And, you know, right or wrong, that's what the committee has shown that they do in the past, which I think is honestly better. We We would lean towards them deciding truly by wins and losses and and on-field criteria rather than, you know, making up stuff like they have with TCU initially with, oh, well, they trailed in a couple games. So we're going to, we're going to hold it against them or these ESPN personalities saying, oh, it matters who you play. TCU has a better strength of schedule than uh, anybody else in the country. I believe, I think they've got the number one strength of schedule or the number two strength of schedule, depending on where you look, but every other front runner for the college football playoff is behind TCU in most metrics when it comes to strength of schedule. And that's, that's a credit to how, how good the big 12 has been this year. Yeah. And that's why I think TCU, as long as they take care of business, they are locked and loaded. Even what do you think about TCU? If they slip up, are they still sitting pretty or do you think that just the brand names will kind of, I, I nobody respects TCU. They're not getting in if they lose a game. Yeah, clearly the committee doesn't take TCU seriously, which is, you know, makes me question what the heck they're watching all week long because TCU continues to rise to every single challenge um, and and overcome it so far. So I think TCU's got a big challenge this week in Baylor. We'll get to that. But first, let's dive into our games of the week. Uh, Our game of the week out West, it is the last, last hope for the Pac-12. Number seven, USC. Two and a half point favorites on the road uh, in the Rose Bowl against number 16 UCLA. This is a Saturday night game, Fox, uh, 7 p.m. kick here in God's time zone. If you want to tune in, USC is the only chance for the Pac 12 to get a member into the college football playoff. Oregon dropped the ball at home last week against Washington, eliminating them from the discussion. USC's defense has been. Very suspect. As we've gotten farther into the season, the better teams that they play, they give up a lot of yards, a lot of points, and UCLA seems primed to be able to take advantage of this. I do really wonder if on the road, it's supposed to be a sold-out stadium, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I'll let you head to Twitter on why that's not actually the case. Uh, (laughs) USC, I think they've got the horses on offense to beat UCLA outright. 
But at the same time, we've seen when defenses, Utah, for instance, when they couldn't stop Dorian Thompson Robinson on the uh, on the ground or in the air, made for a brutal night in the Rose Bowl. So my gut is that USC has more to play for, that Lincoln Riley will find a way to have those guys riled up. I'll take USC by a field goal in a rivalry game, but this would not shock me if the Bruins went outright. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think I'm going to take USC minus the two and a half as well. This is going to be a lot of points scored, a big shootout situation out West. Man, I wish UCLA wouldn't have slipped up last week, man. Like this, this had all the makings of a huge, huge rivalry game and a huge spot. Game day probably would have been there. Just what could have been if UCLA doesn't slip up last week to the fighting Jed Fishes. But but I digress because this is still going to be a very entertaining football game. UCLA is out of the playoff, uh, playoff positioning, and this is their playoff game, right? Like, this is their rivalry game. This is they want to play spoiler. That's kind of an X factor in this one. Caleb Williams versus DTR is going to be a fascinating uh quarterback matchup to watch as well because Caleb Williams has been putting up awesome numbers all year that Lincoln Riley offense really fits him obviously being recruited to it back in Oklahoma but I'm just really concerned about UCLA's ability to keep up if they give up a few scores because for all the talk about USC's defense UCLA's defense has really slipped off as of late as well Um, we saw it last week against Arizona We've seen it, you know, in the big games that UCLA has played as well. Talk about their loss at Oregon, their loss uh, to Arizona. They uh, gave up a lot of points in a couple of other conference games as well. If they go down early, I'm really struggle with a team built so much on the ground game. If they can keep up, if they can keep those big chunk plays up, DTR can throw the football. Absolutely. But so much of their success is predicated on getting a lot of yards on the ground and taking what they want on the ground. If they fall behind early and they can't do that, I'm really concerned. So I'll take USC to cover that small spread and win this game in a really, really close, exciting one. Yeah, no, all eyes, obviously, on USC for the Pac-12. You know, we thought maybe preseason, Mitch and I are pretty high in Utah, thinking that they would be the team. And then, you know, through the season, kind of flirted with Oregon, UCLA. And, you know, now it's, it's the Southern California Trojans or it's nobody. Uh, look up, you see a Lincoln Riley team, top three offense and scoring defense. That's kind of barely holding it together. <laughs> They're running through a conference that they don't play any defense in that whole conference. They're fighting for a playoff spot. Stop me if you heard this one before, right? This is just kind of same old, same old, you know, great job to what they've been able to do out there, especially in year one. I think that they've more than exceeded our expectations for them. And the fact that they're in this position is really, really cool. I think they got a real opportunity to build some resume here. They got obviously UCLA, a very good team this week, and then they get Notre Dame next week to close out the season. I think that would be a really great way for them to kind of build that resume, hop into one of those playoff spots if they could do it. The thing that concerns me is two of their last three have been one-score wins. The other one was Colorado. Um, <laughs> that's not exactly a – I don't know if that counts as a game technically. Um and they're playing offenses that are they're playing an offense this week that is much better than what you got out there at Arizona and Cal, which are the two teams they beat by one score. Mm-hmm. Also, to that point, I think the fact that UCLA is such a run based team is going to force USC to execute to make the most out of their opportunities. I don't think it's going to be as back and forth. I think if you're UCLA, you're going to come in here thinking we're going to run the football. We're going to score points on every single drive we get and we're not going to give them that many opportunities. 
they would love nothing more than to knock their crosstown rivals out of the playoff and ruin their season. Uh, good for USC for exceeding the preseason expectations. I think they get bit this week. I'm going to pick UCLA to win this one. I'm going to take them plus two and a half, obviously. I do think it's a very dangerous spot for a team on the road. I know it's a local game, but still on the road in your biggest rival's house, and they've got truly nothing to lose. That makes me really nervous uh, for a team that hasn't even played a full season together, right? I mean, they've been the transfer portal warriors. This is a, a Lincoln Riley coach team where, listen, for all the regular season success he's had, when it comes to the biggest games of Lincoln Riley's career, he's a little bit mortal. So I do wonder if this turns uh, against USC early. I will say if UCLA can jump on USC early and, and take some of that energy out of the Trojan sidelines, I really like the Bruins to win by multiple scores. I, I just think that when I survey both teams on kind of an equal playing field, they both score a lot of points. They both don't play a lot of defense. They they don't really get a lot of pass rush. To me, USC's offensive line is one of the best in the country. I think that may be the difference maker as far as running the ball and allowing Caleb Williams some time to uh, to, to throw downfield. So give me USC with a late field goal to win this rivalry game and then hope and pray, right? I mean, you should, if you run the table, you should get in as the Pac-12 champion with a... Michigan loss or with an Ohio State loss, whichever team loses the big game. And I, that's why I think, you know, the loser of that big game needs to really worry about USC in particular because sure. that's going to be a solid resume all of a sudden with mm-hmm. wins over UCLA, Notre Dame, and Oregon in the final three weeks of the season. If that's what it comes down to, that is a solid, solid resume that's going to be almost impossible to keep out. Yeah, I think they're probably sitting on number five going into that conference championship game if they win these next two, mm-hmm. just because they're giving them the chance to win that game and hop in. So, uh, Let's talk about the other big matchup in the Pac-12. Uh, this is Saturday ESPN, 9.30 p.m. kick local time. Um, not not happy, our friends with the four-letter network. Number 10, Utah. Number 12, Oregon. Chance to play in the Pac-12 championship game still very much on the line here. Oregon is a three-point favorite. I Utah's had some really good weeks. They've had some really bad weeks. And look, you could say, hey, if they don't drop that game to UCLA or if they don't drop that game to Florida, they're still right there in the thick of the Pac-12 championship discussion. But at the same time, Utah has found a way to lose the biggest games on their schedule, and Oregon's offense looks really good. I, I know their defense was... A little bit MIA last week, especially in the secondary. Michael Penix Jr. threw for 400 yards against them. I think Oregon is going to be ticked off and still ready to defend a spot in the Pac-12 championship game. I'm going to take the home team here in in another game where defense could be optional, to say the least. Give me the better offense here in the Oregon Ducks. I'm not entirely sure they are the better offense. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, You know, if... If you want to stay up crazy late and watch some awesome football, put on a pot of coffee, hang out with me for a little bit. I'll be up. Uh, come find me on social media or something like that. This was one of the games that preseason I had circled as one of the best of the year. I'm still super pumped for this game. I think these are two really good teams. Obviously, this would have been more fun if these teams had a real playoff aspiration, right? If either of these teams are playing for something, that would have been a little bit more fun. But we're still talking about a path to the to the championship game. 
you know, possible Rose Bowl spot on the line. So, you know, I think Oregon's going to have to look for a ability to bounce back after. I mean, they just got eliminated from the playoff, right? The, that was what just happened for them. They've got to be feeling down. It's got to be a bit of a bum week in the locker room. You know, the, the vibes probably aren't there when it comes to just how this team is playing. You know, luckily for them, they get this letdown game at home. They're playing against a good opponent with some stakes, so it should keep their attention. You know, the Ducks, they have the better offense, at least on paper in terms of the points per game. But if you look at kind of some of the the recent things, I'll get to Utah in a second. The Ducks, they have some big question marks on defense, though. They, they rank 76th in points per game against, and I think that that's a little bit of a, a shocking stat to me in terms of what I expected from them. They don't play particularly great defense. And maybe I'm just a little bit biased from my preseason expectations, but I kind of think Utah's going to go on the road and get Oregon while they're down. Guys, they scored 40 points in the last two games and in four of their last six. Utah is scoring a lot towards the end of the season. They seem to have found their rhythm. They were pretty bad at the beginning. We're not going to pretend like they weren't bad at the beginning of the season. But something clicked. They figured out their rhythm. And this last part of the season has been really good for them on offense. I think right now Utah has the slight edge on offense. Uh, They've scored a bunch of points recently. I think it's going to be close, but I'm going to go ahead and ride or die with my darling. Give me Utah plus three. This is my lucky dog of the week. I'm going to double up with you on lucky dog of the week. I'm taking Utah plus three as well. And, you know, resident Utah hater over here, but I'll I'll give you some props (laughs) that they just seem to have the Ducks number historically, right? Like they they seem like there's something to be said about teams that just seem to have the other team's number. You talk about TCU, Texas, you talk about, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of other um, examples you could throw out there, but Utah just seems to have Oregon's number. And I'm really concerned about Oregon not having anything to play for, quote unquote. Now, obviously, they're still very much alive for a conference championship and a Rose Bowl appearance. That's a huge season for Utah. And that's kind of a letdown for Oregon. It shouldn't be a letdown for Oregon. But from where they were, that is going to be seen as a more of a letdown than something to play for. So I think Utah wins this game relatively comfortably. I, I think it's Ooh. kind of not in doubt at the end of this. Uh, as we're winding down the fourth quarter, I think it's going to be pretty much uh, set in stone that Utah is going to win this game. And I think they're going to rely on that run game. They're going to rely on the better defense, I think. And yeah, at, when they have Cam Rising, they're a very formidable offense to try to go against. So give me the more motivated team. Give me the team that has a little bit more chip on its shoulder right now. Still something to prove. Um, look. They probably read the press clippings. They probably heard all the playoff hype that they were getting from some at the beginning of the year. But at the end of the day, a 10-2 and or 11-2 and season in a Pac-12 championship and Rose Bowls appearance is still one of the best seasons in Utah history. So they still feel like they have a lot to play for. And I'm going to roll with that at this point in the season. Oh, nice welcome to the bandwagon play. late in the season. Well, I, no, this <laughs> is what I said all year. They'll lose two games they'll win the Pac-12, <laughs> this and they'll is, go to the Rose Bowl. This so this is, is exactly, exactly what playing out exactly how I had it. That's right. Um, I do think, I think all of that narrative is very true. I also think that Oregon has played with a chip on their shoulder since they got blown out by Georgia, right? A first-year head coach. It's a bunch of new guys who came in, you know, a lot of those guys that were a part of the Oregon teams that were competing for a playoff under Mario Cristobal are either on their last legs of the career or just weren't there, right? Uh, your, your quarterback, your, your captain came over from Auburn, a dumpster fire of a program. And 
I for me, I think this Oregon team since that Georgia loss has been playing like a Georgia or an Oregon team that is reborn. Now their defense let them down and some bad play calling let them down late in that game. I I think that Oregon can play with the same chip on their shoulder as as Utah can and and go out and and want to win a Rose Bowl championship to prove that they are not on the downtrend, right? There's a lot of press clippings that are saying that Oregon is on the way out, that their you know rain in the sun is is over. Uh, there's a lot of comments about maybe Dan Lanning leaving for maybe the job on the plains, going somewhere else. That Oregon's a stepping stone program. I kind of lean into the narrative that at home they're embarrassed of how they lost in a rivalry game last week, and with plenty to play for. I think there's a reason why Oregon is favored at home. So we'll see. It should be a good game. though. I might agree with you if they had like one game in the middle, right? If they just had like one Washington state in the middle, just to kind of rough up on them, get the ship right. And then, right. then go to awesome. Utah or I don't know, pick your own Cal. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Cal or Stanford. Pick, yeah. Let's act like there's a real difference between all these Pac-12 teams that aren't, you know, <laughs> Oregon or USC or whatever. So I, I just, I think I would have preferred, like another game in the middle just to kind of rough up on somebody, get the ship right, and then get the attitude right. I think on one week, having to recover from that is pretty tough. You know, you had to be coming into Monday morning practice and, and all these team meetings feeling a little dejected, right? Like, hey, we're not making the playoff. You know, that was tough. I wish I would have made this play. And you're not really coming into the week with the right mindset from the get-go. I'm not saying they're not there now, but I just kind of think I would have preferred a little bit more time on the better side of things this week. Well, if Utah does win, you're welcome, Utes, because uh, I'm I'm keeping you guys away from from the media curse. So, shout out shout out me if Utah ends up winning. Uh, last game of the week, number four TCU, two and a half point favorites at Baylor Saturday. Fox Big Noon kickoff, whatever. Not really a, that big of a game. 11 a.m. But to me, Baylor provides the last chance in the regular season to knock off TCU. Now we'll see who ends up getting to Dallas to, to take on the Horn Frogs in the big 12 championship game right now. It certainly looks like Kansas state. They've got the inside track there, but this line is suspiciously low to me, right? Now TCU did not look great last week offensively against Texas. That was a defensive slugfest. Nobody could move the football. I get it, but Baylor got whooped by the Wildcats at home. 31, three, in your own building, the offense didn't look good. The defense was running all over the field like a chicken with its head cut off. They could not make any sort of plays. I mean, Dylan Doyle said to the media this week, look, we just flat out did not play good football this week. So to me, TCU has weathered every storm. Why on earth are they only two and a half point favorites heading into this game where it is their last test before not a cakewalk against Iowa State, but if you score 17, you you beat the Cyclones right now. Lines in the Big 12 this year, and in Waco in particular, just have not made sense this year. If you guys remember, Baylor was like a four-point favorite over Oklahoma State, like a fully operational Oklahoma State. But guys, I have a question for you. Has Baylor put up a good offensive performance against a competent defense yet this year? That's going to be a negative ghost writer. So I'm am gonna, I going to pick Baylor comment. to cover this? You are not going to pick I am Baylor. not. No, I still <laughs> need to see it from the Bears. I feel like a broken record, but all of their good offensive performances have come against the worst of the worst defenses on their schedule. And until I see it 
until I see this form of Baylor's uh, team do it against a team that has a competent defense, not even an elite defense, just a competent defense. <laughs> I'm not going to pick Baylor because they just can't seem to string together drives. Now, they will get up for this one. They want revenge. The other intangible in this one is that TCU ruined Baylor's slim playoff hopes last year, right? Yeah. When they go, went up to Fort Worth and TCU out of nowhere with a, a already fired coach, I think, knocked off Baylor and completely eliminated from any playoff discussion. But that's going to be something that to keep an eye on. That's going to be a huge motivating factor for the Bears. But TCU is good. Whether the nation wants to admit that or not, TCU is a very, very good football team that can win in multiple types of ways. And that's what elite teams do. They can beat you in a shootout. They can beat you by just running you over. They can beat you in a defensive slugfest. They showed that last week when they were severely out-talented in a game and they still hung with a, a Longhorn team and just shut them down on defense. So give me a team that can win multiple ways against different types of teams. TCU is going to win by way more than two and a half. Yeah, what is it with these Lions? I mean, like, does Vegas just know that there's, like, a few rich Horn Frogs fans that they can take advantage of if they set weird lines? I don't really know what the goal is here. But regardless, Fort Worth's finest are going to go play their third State of Texas game in a row with their hope for the playoffs. You know, there's a lot of sort of rivalry that goes into those games. You know, it's the State of Texas keeping it in that state. Who's going to run the state? You know, they, they beat Tech. They covered that one. They beat Texas. They were a dog in that one. Still have no idea how that was the case. And they still covered that one. And they're going to continue their shocking run of the playoff, right? Nobody expected this. Sonny Dykes might be, you know, he's got to be coach of the year. But, you know, at this point, I, I think that's an obvious one. They're going to have to do everything they can to keep him away from some power programs because you know he's going to be getting some calls. Um, but regardless, they're going to have to find a way, I, I think, to get back on track on offense you know, we can talk about how good their offense has been this year. They, they slipped up against Texas. I think that's going to be just fine. The running game is awesome. They're opportune on defense. I think the biggest factor for TCU in this one is just the massive disrespect that they're getting. If you're talking about just teams that get to put up newspaper clippings in their locker room for motivation, that might be what's fueling this TCU run right now. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, I think it was Stephen A. Smith and Feinbaum and you know Mad Dog had a laugh fest, and they were talking, "Oh, Kansas State, and oh, they beat Can, oh, they beat Oklahoma State." Does that sound like a juggernaut? And first off, we they, he threw in you know Texas and Oklahoma in there, like they wouldn't talk about them being one of the best next year even, um, but. I don't think that Stephen A. I guess checked with his own networks stat keepers no, because TCU's strength of schedule is actually ranked as harder than Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Clemson, USC, and North Carolina, which are all teams we've talked about having shots here. They have the number one strength of record in the entire country. Go ahead, keep down these Horn Frogs. Right now, the stats say that this should be, just in terms of strength of schedule, strength of record, this might should be the best team. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't think that they're the best team in the country, but I guess the numbers might disagree with me right now. Keep down the Horn Frogs, man. Saturday is going to be a bad day to be a Bear. TCU minus two and a half. You could give me probably 20, and I think they still cover it. This is going to be a bloodbath. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Uh, TCU minus two and a half lock of the week. Uh, the Easy. Frogs will roll. I, I just don't see, like I said, I or like Trey said, I don't see how Baylor keeps up with them. Um, 
It's just not been a consistent enough offense. And I like the Baylor defense a lot, but the offense just hasn't consistently put up points. And uh, you you absolutely have to against a very aggressive TCU defense. So uh, we're all on the Horn Frogs this week. Uh, moving over to the rest of the slate of games, your main screen games, if you will. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily going to be a game, but I had to include it because it does involve one of our beautiful Shadow Realm teams. Number three, Michigan, at home against the Illinois Fighting Illini, Saturday, ABC, 11 a.m. kick. Michigan, 18-point favorites. I will say, I had to, I had to really think about this line because... On on one hand, I think that Michigan could easily win by 21-plus, but on the other hand, it's just been weird with Big Ten West teams. Illinois has one of the best running games in the country. Tommy DeVito has done enough to be very competent this season. I like Chase Brown a lot, but at the same time, I think Michigan State might have given everybody the template for how you bottle him up and you take him out of the run game you eliminate his passing uh, or the uh, the pass catching ability on those swing routes on the bubble screens i think it's michigan's last big tune-up before their one game season starts next week against ohio state now could that be a look ahead spot maybe so but i i think there were much more obvious places for michigan to slip up before this and even not cover the spread so it's a large number but michigan at home i'll take them minus the 18. Hey, I'll tell you what, if you gave Michigan 18 points, they would have covered it their last five games. So, you know, Michigan's not necessarily a type of team that's going to just jump out in front of you and just keep you a distance, but they will wear you down, right? They'll, they'll get out in front of you a little bit, you know, get that like seven to 10 point lead, and then they just kind of run the ball, play really good defense, wear you out, capitalize on your mistakes. And, and I think that they're playing, you know, probably the best run team. They're, they're the best run team right now in the country, if you ask me. That they're, you know, they, they just play such good defense. They wear you out. I think this isn't going to be much of a game. I, I don't really get how this is anything more than a tune-up for Michigan. I think Blake Corum right now is my Heisman favorite. Uh, he's not going to win it because they don't give it to running backs anymore. But if you just ask me, he would be my favorite for Heisman right now. He's going to get a chance to pad his stats against Ohio, or, or again before he gets to Ohio State. You know, Illinois that had some magic, but. Return to the Shadow Realm. It's a mess. There's about 5,000 different ways that a team can win this division at this point. And, you know, if if they win, but the wind was blowing at 20 miles an hour, then the other team gets to go to the championship game. It's all just a weird scenario. We've all seen the graphics. I think Illinois is kind of out of magic for this one. Uh, And I think the Wolverines are going to use this, again, kind of like what you were saying, Mitch, just kind of a last-minute tune-up before Ohio State. Give me Michigan minus 18. Don't really think it's going to be that close. The thing that gives me cause for pause on going all in on Michigan to cover that spread is I think they know that this game literally doesn't matter. And I think yeah. Jim Harbaugh knows that. I think that the players know that. You can you know say whatever you want to the media. And obviously an undefeated season would be amazing, but this game literally does not matter. I don't think that Michigan's going to be doing anything spectacular. I don't think that they're going to be you know, if they get up big at halftime, they're going to be pulling their starters probably. And we're going to see some backups. It's also, I know, you know, you got to look at weather reports in the Big Ten country at this time. The Tempet kickoff is currently forecasted to be 22 degrees Sick. with 17 mile per hour wind. So 
you could not pay me to be in the stadium in Ann Arbor <laughs> this weekend unless I was up in a really warm press box or suite or something like that. So I don't know. I, I think Michigan wins this game. I don't think that it's necessarily going to be in doubt for much of it, but I think Illinois is good enough to cover that spread in a situation, especially where Michigan is probably not going to be as interested as they would be earlier in the season. I'm going to slightly challenge that just for a second. I do think you're right in terms of if they win against Ohio State, it doesn't matter. But if they don't beat Ohio State and it's kind of a a real close sort of three-point game and they just barely lose, I think blowing out Illinois is going to matter. Because just eyeball test, if they're looking at the fact that, well, they only lost to Ohio State and, you know, with an Ohio State win over Michigan, I think they probably hopped Georgia for the number one seed. You're saying, well, they only lost to the number one team in the country. And what has Tennessee done recently? Well, look at, you know, Michigan. They're scoring as many points. They're doing just as good on offense. And, you know, they play better defense. And so I think that just to that point, they might have a little bit of motivation to run the score up a little bit. Just because at this point in the season, you have to play for resume. And you can't count on, like, you know, TCU dropping a game or USC losing another game. You have to make sure that you're doing everything you can to boost your resume. So, agreed. If they beat Ohio State... You can win this game by one point. It doesn't matter if they lose to Ohio State again on the road. I think they really need this game to look impressive. Let's stay in Big Ten country and play for a big old bronze pig. The Florida Rosedale is this week, Saturday, Fox, 3 p.m. Iowa at Minnesota. The Gophers are three-point favorites. Um, Guys, as we've learned, the Shadow Realm has taken no prisoners. It's offered no quarter. And my hopes and dreams for a Minnesota presence in Indianapolis have largely been dashed this year. Now, technically still alive for it. They will be eliminated if they so lose this game. Uh, My analysis here in a cold, sloppy, rain-soaked, potentially run-fest is that Minnesota has let me down week after week. So why stop now? And for that reason, Iowa plus three, lock it in. Yeah, you know, you look at Minnesota, and we were so high on them coming into this year. We were high on them because they had an experienced quarterback, and they had, you know, a a really, really good running game. And, yeah, when you when you look at their three losses in the middle of the season, they didn't have either of those things. Tanner Morgan went down a couple times. Mo Ibrahim was not consistently uh, in the game he was getting hurt a lot he was you know in and out of the lineup i haven't heard about tanner morgan i'm not sure if it's going to be tanner morgan or uh kalaki manis i'm not even sure how to say their backup quarterback's name it's going to be a big difference i'm gonna roll with minnesota big delay there because i was actually deciding what team was going to go come out of my mouth i'm gonna roll with minnesota in this one i think they're the more talented team offensively And I think that, you know, would I love just as a college football sicko to see Iowa run the table on the way out of this year and make it to Indianapolis? Yes, absolutely. I don't think the college football universe is going to allow them to do that. So I'm going to take Minnesota. Shadow Realm analysis is as silly as what I just said, right? Like I can come, I can tell you all the stats. I can tell you all the injuries. I could read you a full page report on why I think Minnesota will win, but it's going to come down to something silly. So I'll go with the home team. Usually Minnesota struggles have been on the road, so I will leave it at that. 
you know, I'm so glad that we've come around on the Shadow Realm just being a goofy place. Um, I'm going to go back and check my notes on this one, the how to pick a winner sheet from a few weeks ago. You have to pick one football reason and one non-football reason. So I'm going to say Minnesota wins this because I was the worst offense I've seen in my life and because Kirk Ferentz ignored game prep to sit on Ticketmaster for eight hours to get nosebleed seats for Taylor Swift. So that's going to be my reasons there. Don't really have much else to say about it. So you know, Minnesota minus three, might as well pick a team. Big 10 West weather report uh, for Minneapolis at kickoff 3 p.m. 16 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, 16 mile per hour wind with a uh, 2% chance of precipitation. Sure. Give it to me. 2% chance. That that sounds like Kirk Ferentz. That sounds like Brian Ferentz weather, honestly. When the playbook is so limited that it just is is the Jimmys versus the Joes, and it will be. It does look sunny though, so I mean, you know, maybe not that limited of a playbook. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I think this is a back and forth affair, a very very close game. Uh, so you know, a, a one score, a little three point game, maybe get me a push. Who knows? But I'll roll with Iowa. They've got some momentum, even when Tanner Morgan was kind of healthy. He's not looked good this year. I wanted him to be the grandpa, the grandpappy of college football and ride in on a, you know, row the boat all the way to Indianapolis. And I just, I don't know that it's going to happen this year. So uh, yeah, that's why I'm taking Iowa. Yeah, Mitch, I think unfortunately Austin Ani has that job of being the grandpappy. So he took that job. He is, he is this year's Brandon Whedon. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Just an incredible story over there. Uh, Let's go down South where I guarantee you the weather won't be 16 degrees. Number one, Georgia. On the road at Kentucky, Saturday CBS, 2.30 p.m., uh, Georgia is a 22.5-point favorite. Do y'all remember when we previewed that this game could be for the SEC East crown? Because Pepperidge Farm remembers. Yeah, it was uh, not that long ago that we really thought Kentucky was going to be a good team. They beat Florida you know, at the beginning of the season after Florida beat Utah, and they kind of became one of the hottest teams in the country. And... I held out hope for so long, y'all. I thought Will Levis was really good. And I'm finally starting to turn the leaf over that I think whoever drafts Will Levis next year is making a huge, huge mistake. So, yeah, I I think I'll take Georgia minus anything in this one. You want to tell me 40? Sure. You want to tell me 50? I might still consider it. So, Georgia minus anything. They're on a mission, and they are not going to be slowed down anytime soon. No, I kind of agree with that. So the Detroit Lions will be making that mistake is what I'm hearing. Um, oh, <laughs> they're in perfect position that. to pick that terrible quarterback. Not yeah, Dan no. Campbell. No. I like it. No. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, Kentucky has to be the second most disappointing team in the SEC this year. We picked them to be pretty good. This might be one of our worst whiffs as a podcast. Expected a good year from them. They suck. They're really bad. You know, Georgia's covered these big spreads a few times this year. No real pressure here since they've, you know, they already have Atlanta locked up. They probably already have a playoff spot locked up. I think even if they were to lose a game, they still probably make the playoff. Give me the dogs big here. You know, give me Georgia minus 22 and a half. This is actually going to be my Stone Cold Lock of the Week. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Georgia minus, minus anything. Will Levis actually ranks behind Grant Wells of Virginia Tech in total passer ranking, which is... Ew. Which is something. Um, Ew. So, yeah. Dogs dogs uh, big this week. Let's go to Bedlam. This is an interesting game. Interesting line. 
Oklahoma State, the 22, uh, number 22 ranked team in the country. They're at OU. Seven and a half point favorites are the Sooners on Saturday night, ABC at 6.30 p.m. Oklahoma State is beaten, battered, bruised. They are down to one quarterback and mostly second and third string guys across the board. And yet, Oklahoma has been so spectacularly unimpressive that I I haven't seen them blow anybody out, put a game away, win convincingly this year. They're 5-5. and And because that's the worst start since the late 90s for Oklahoma, I know that they're healthier. I know that they've got more talent. But at the same time, guys, this is a rivalry game in which you're supposed to throw the records out the window. And sometimes you might have to throw the depth charts out the window as well. So just on the pure basis of chaos late November, give me the Pokes plus seven and a half. I don't think they're going to win this game, but never count a team out against this year's Oklahoma squad. Oh, absolutely. No, Bedlam is one of my favorite games each year. This is a game that I always find myself in front of a TV for, so I'm super pumped for it. But man, talk about two teams just crashing and burning as they come into this game, right? So you have Oklahoma State starting the season pretty hot. They got real playoff hopes. They lose to TCU in overtime. They get borderline assaulted by the entire state of Kansas. And they just, they're they're stumbling into this one. So many injuries. They cannot stay healthy. You know, this doesn't excuse the fact, though, that Oklahoma, they've just been terrible this year. I mean, really bad. You're saying they've been unimpressive. They're bad. They're on a two-game losing streak to Baylor and West Virginia. I'm sorry. That's that's not Oklahoma football. That's not something that Sooner fans are okay with. Yeah, They're just really bad this year. Oklahoma State's the better team here, but unfortunately, that better team is still struggling to get on the field because they're all injured, right? Now, they're going on the road. They're facing a rival. Bad spot. I think I want to pick the Cowboys to win this one close. I honestly wouldn't be shocked to see this one go either way. The only way OU is covering this spread, though, is if Spencer Sanders literally has his arm fall off. That he's you know putting the ice back on that shoulder. There's a chance that that thing could come you know unattached from his body, but uh, outside of that happening, I think that this one is an OSU plus seven and a half in a really tight game. Is Spencer Sanders back? He played in the fourth quarter of their game last week. Re- and oh, then, I missed that. Okay, no, he I- he played late to get them to win because the I I think what was it like Gundy's Gundy. kid or whatever yeah. Yeah, was Gunner. just garbage. And so he ended up playing the last part of that game to help him come back and win. And then the post-game presser is just him sitting in a shirt with like a massive ice pack on his shoulder because he was clearly in pain. And so, I mean, again, like I said, he's going to have to – he's going to play this game. There's no way he misses his last bedlam. And the only way that Oklahoma covers this is if he literally has his arm detached from his body and cannot play. I think it was, I, I, I didn't realize that was even a possibility that he was going to play this week. So if Spencer Sanders plays, I'm with you guys on Oklahoma State plus seven and a half. If he doesn't play, holy cow, it just all falls, falls apart really quickly for Oklahoma State. And if he gets hurt in the game, it all falls apart really quickly for Oklahoma State. So I'll take two of those three outcomes. I am going to pick Oklahoma <laughs> to cover this spread, and I'm not doing that very confidently. And most of it is just to avoid the broadcaster's curse um, on we like Oklahoma it. State. But I, I don't know. I think if there's any game that Oklahoma is going to get up for, it's going to be this one. It's a chance to kind of end the season on a high note, beating your rival. For one that hasn't gone any, according to any plan for the Sooners this year. So, yeah, I'll take Oklahoma to cover because we just don't know what we're going to get from Spencer Sanders. 
Yeah, the same the same way they got up for that Texas game. Am I right? Hey, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> Dylan Gabriel is playing, isn't he? But, yeah. Did I they even so. get on the bus they, for that one? He will have a chance to complete a forward pass uh, this time around. We're not running yeah, the didn't, wishbone. I like. Didn't our Dylan Gabriel lose to West Virginia and Baylor two games in a he row? Did. He did. Sorry, yes, just he did. checking. Yes, he did. There's a, the there's way, huge the, red flags all over the field. And the way they lost to West Virginia too, with JT Daniels <sighs> benched, was whoo. Not not good. Uh, two other games to really key in on, and this is very likely for the American, at least a piece of the American Conference Championship. Number 21, Tulane, three-point favorites versus SMU. This is a Thursday night game. So as you're listening to this, uh, this game is tonight, ESPN, 6.30 p.m. if you choose to, to tune in. SMU plus three feels really attractive to me because the line feels low once again. Tulane lost to UCF last week. Their offense really struggled for one of the first times this season. And that defense gave up a lot of yards and and some points on the ground, especially. SMU's offense is even more explosive than Central Florida's in a vacuum. Now, the Ponies can't play defense either. But this line feels a little too low for me. And, And for that reason, I think Vegas is tipping their hand that SMU has a very, very real chance to go out and win this game, not only win this game, but also potentially keep our chaos scenario in the American in place, which Trey and I talked about on our last episode. There is a chance for a four-way tie atop the American Conference. SMU has to win this game in order for that to even be a possibility. Give me the ponies plus three. I'm, I'm going to choose to believe in our Dallas neighbors. Chaos in college football is my absolute favorite, so I would love to see it, but I I don't know. I've just seen a little bit too much from Tulane to not trust them in this one. Both defenses can be suspect at times. We saw that last week from Tulane. I just think Tulane maybe gets one or two more stops at home. Um, Yeah, I'm going to take Tulane minus three. SMU has scared me all year. Every time I want to buy in, they just go out and really make me regret that. So. Uh, I'll take Tulane minus three at home. Yeah, that Tulane magic kind of started to run out. SMU's been scoring all the points in the last few weeks. They're the hotter team right now, but I think that Tulane's going to be disciplined enough to win this game. Give me Tulane minus three. Uh, Houston at East Carolina is our final game to really key in on. Saturday, ESPN Plus, 1 p.m. Houston, potentially one of those teams that could enter into the fray for the American Conference Championship game. I don't think they survive, though. East Carolina at home, they're six-point favorites. I really like the way that ECU is is moving the football right now. They've been very tough to go against, especially as of late. Uh, give me the Pirates. No quarter offered at home in Greenville. I love the Pirates. I've been really high on their bandwagon all year. But Houston just seems like they're starting to turn around. I know they struggled with Temple last week, and the defense is atrocious most of the time. But... <laughs> I think they're talented enough to keep this one close. I'll take the Cougars plus six. I'm just going to be very clear. You are voting with the team that did not convincingly beat Temple. Yes? I, that Yes. That okay. Guilty as charged. Right. Just, guilty hey, just, as charged. Just, just making sure. Garrett's having a coffin fit right now. He's on ECU minus six as well. Um, elsewhere around college football, Trey mentioned this actually on Sunday's episode, or Monday, I guess, as you listen to it. Boise State at Wyoming, Saturday, CBS uh, CBS Sports Network. Let me not read that acronym. 
6 p.m. game. The Broncos, after a weird start to this season, are suddenly in the driver's seat to go to the Mountain West championship game, and they're 14 points favorites on the road. Trey, Wyoming, they've struggled to score this year. The defense has been the better part at times of that team. They've certainly risen above expectations, especially how bad they looked against Illinois to start the season. But I think this spread is 14 points for a reason. I think the Broncos win, punch their ticket to the conference championship game. At the same time, 14 points at home with with so much on the line, that's a lot to give away. So give me the Cowboys to cover, Broncos to win. Yeah, the Boise State, I don't know that I, you know, they've they've been on a nice run lately. I don't know that I trust them to win this game by 14 points either. So from both sides of the equation, it's kind of pointing me to 14 points now. Sometimes that means you run in the opposite direction because Vegas always knows way more than you do, but I'll roll with the Cowboys at altitude. Their offense has been a little anemic most of this year, though. So that that is a little concerning, especially if they get down early. But yeah, I'll take the defense at home at altitude to have a really nice game and they cover that 14 point spread. All right. Hobbenbeg in, got the Ricola. Not a sponsor. Maybe could be. Um, I think Boise is going to win this game probably by 10, but 14 is a really big number. So go ahead, give me Wyoming plus 14 on this one. Yeah, I, I just. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Mountain West teams, I, they rarely win games pretty, so I, I'm not going to bet on that happening this week. Taylor uh, Green for Boise State, if I can just give him a quick shout-out real quick, has been a really fun player to watch so far this year. He had a rough debut um, early in the season when Hank Bachmeyer got benched, but sure. he's come in and he's led them to a lot of really fun wins, so I, I'm excited to see him play on a little bit, a little bit bigger stage this week. Texas is a nine-point favorite on the road in Lawrence. Both teams are six and four heading into this game. And I tell you what, Texas Twitter is very upset with the way that they lost to TCU. A lot of questions around around Quinn Ewers, the efficiency of the offense. It's a very hot and cold relationship with Steve Sarkeesian when they win. He's a play-calling genius. When they lose, he's the biggest idiot on the field. Um, I, I think that a lot of folks just need to take a chill pill uh, and, and realize where their program is heading. They're winning games that they did not win a year ago, two years ago under Tom Herman. Do they have some frustrating losses? For sure. But they were in that game against TCU until the very end. I'm not a moral victories guy, but I do think that Texas is heading in the right direction. I don't know that the mean bean machine is going to be able to score as frequently against this Texas defense, which is playing very well. They are unsung heroes in the Big 12 of this 2022 season. Nine points on the road is a lot, but I think Texas finds a way to eke it out. Maybe give me the Longhorns by 10. Not a super convincing win. Not something that I think the folks in Austin are just going to get the warm fuzzies about heading into rivalry week but I do think they win by multiple scores. Mitch, I don't know what you're talking about. Rivalry week starts early right here. Come on. <laughs> this is a big game for Texas and Kansas. Come on. This is one, you know, hated rivals, Kansas getting them last year. So my big problem is I still don't really know what Texas is. You know, they looked bad against the TCU defense. That They're capable, but they're not, you know, world beaters or anything. You know, Kansas, a little bit of a team of destiny this year, kind of fell off with some injuries. I kind of just have a feeling they're going to get it done at home. 
I'm going to pick Kansas plus nine and outright. They're going to move up those bowl eligibility rankings. You know, they're going to get up there, get them maybe sort of that mid-tier bowl, stay out of the Texas bowl or something like that. So, you know, good for them. Still, I think rooting for Kansas just because they're kind of that fun team. Let's see how many wins they can get here. But, you know, I I just kind of still don't know if I can count on Texas in this spot. Now, would it shock me if Texas won this game by 20? Not at all. They certainly have it in them. But I'm just still waiting to see that they can do it on a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, I think Texas offense is going to look a lot more cohesive this week because as fun as Kansas offense has been to watch this year, their defense has just been not good, downright scary at times. And look, when, when you're breaking through and you're rising from the ashes as a program, the offense is usually going to come first. For I think in 90% of the situations where we see this, the offense comes first, you get an explosive offense. And then you figure it out on defense as you're able to recruit better athletes and get more talent into your program, right? And so Kansas just isn't there quite yet where they can field a a defense that scares you. So I'm expecting a good bounce back game from Quinn. I think this will be a close game for a half, maybe even three quarters. I think Texas does just enough to win this one by 10 to 13. So I'll take Texas minus nine. Three more games just to mention very quickly here. Two in the SEC, and then one that has some roots very close to our heart. Let's start there. FIU at UTEP. Uh, 14-point favorites are the UTEP Miners. The loser will not go bowling this season. And UTEP, they have to win their last two. Both teams are 4-6. and six. The Miners are obviously favored for a reason in this game. I think they will win this. But the fact that they lost to Rice last week really, really put the kibosh in my mind on their postseason chances. Um, you know, you're going to go play probably Conference USA champs in, in the Roadrunners next week. I think UTEP does win this game. I think if I was picking against the spread, maybe I'd take FIU plus 14 just because I don't know that this game really matters. Now, I hope for, for Hardison and Dana Dimel and, and company out west they win this game convincingly and they believe that they can go pull a North Texas from last year and ruin UTSA season. Now, not an undefeated year, obviously, but still that's exactly what UT or UNT did a season ago. I want to believe in the minors, but at the same time, uh, this offense has straight up disappeared at times this season. So I'll, I'll take the points here in this one. I do think UTEP wins. Yeah, I think UTEP wins in this one too, but if you're asking me to bet on who's more likely to make a bowl with both of these two teams sitting at four and six, I think I go FIU. Sure. Because they're at UTEP this week, and then they have Middle Tennessee at home next week. Whereas, as you mentioned, Mitch, uh, UTEP is on the road, I believe, at the class of the conference in UTSA. So, yeah, I'll take UTEP to win and spoil the FIU hopes. But, man, FIU quietly having a more respectable season than we thought, especially after they got dropped from NCAA 14 revamped earlier. Yes, this year. they did. Yeah. Totally agree with you guys. I think, you know, it, it, it's a good story for FIU. They probably lose this one. Um, but yeah, not by 14. I'll take them to cover the 14, but yeah, UTEP probably wins this one. Uh, Tennessee is 21 and a half point favorites at South Carolina and Ole Miss just two and a half point favorites at Arkansas. Y'all got a leaning on on either of these games. I mean, to me, it feels like South Carolina, they've played some ugly games in the last couple weeks. Tennessee, they're trying to keep their playoff hopes alive, so I think they flex their muscle a little bit. 
Ole Miss, man, like, gosh, they had Bama on the ropes. They just couldn't get it done. Arkansas has dropped, what, four in a row now? It seems like two programs headed in the opposite directions. Do you all have a feeling on either of these games? Yeah, I think Tennessee needs to impress to keep their playoff hopes alive. They're obviously they're not going to be appearing in a conference championship game, so they really got to make the most out of their opportunities. I think they're going to do just that. I would take. I think what is it, twenty one and a half points? Yeah, I'm going to take them to cover that. I think they need to, and I think they will. Um, for Ole Miss, I think Lane's going to keep winning at his soon to be spurned Ole Miss program. I think writing's on the wall. He's on his way to Auburn, but he'll keep winning with Ole Miss and give him some nice feelings on the way out. You know, a little bit of a spurned, sad love story there for the uh, Ole Miss Rebels and uh, Lane Kiffin. I'm going to take Tennessee minus anything in their last two games because they're going to be throwing the ball down the field until that clock hits four zeros. Like they are going to be trying to score. We saw it with Missouri last week. They were looking to add points at the end there. Um, No shame in that because they're going to be, I'm, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Tennessee here, but they will be looking to run up the score and increase those style points this last couple of weeks against inferior opponents. So I'm going to take Tennessee minus anything these last couple weeks. I'm actually going to take Arkansas plus two and a half in this one. I think Arkansas is going to be a surprise upset team this week. They're going to knock off the Rebels. I would kind of love to see that happen, honestly. I mean, Lane Kiffin has been so vocal on Twitter and throwing multiple teams, coaches, even players under the bus. I I would kind of love to see Arkansas get right. I kind of hate Lane Kiffin. Yeah. I know he's like a lovable guy on college football Twitter, and everybody's like, oh, he's hilarious. I kind of hate him. So I, I want him to lose every game the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, this is not a pro-lane podcast here. He's one of the biggest jerks in college football. Just a total chotch. And then the problem is, if things don't go his way, he whines. He's yeah, just a whiner. So yeah, I'm not a big fan. Sucks. Like, I, I don't get the love for him. He sucks. His, his crusade on teams and players faking injuries when he... When you're the biggest one. That, when, <laughs> like, yeah, when it is a legitimate strategy he's employed going back to his USC days. Yeah. Um, when, when you're on film going, go down, go down <laughs> for like 40 seconds, maybe, maybe don't complain about horse, it publicly. Buddy. Yeah. Maybe get down off the high horse. We got to clip this segment and tweet it at him. <laughs> I, I'm sure he would respond too. Hi, Lane. Uh, he has, he has, you know, he has one of those special assistants at LSU just constantly on their phones Wait, searching LSU? Lane Kiffin. Or sorry, Ole Miss. My bad. I was like, are you breaking some oh, news? Breaking here? news. <laughs> breaking news. Uh, Brian Kelly to Auburn, Lane Kiffin to LSU. <laughs> but you know, he has one of those assistants at Ole Miss literally just searching Lane Kiffin on Twitter. Maybe constantly. it's juice. Absolutely. Like, maybe, he maybe has to because. Anytime any obscure person tweets about them, he is right there in the middle. He does, yeah, last year it was John Rice Pumley. He, he does live in his own mentions. Uh, all right, let's wrap this up with the ledger. Uh, Trey, it did not go well for you last week. Uh, Garrett, you you survived. You I think you batted 500. Um, Trey, do you have picks this week? I noticed in the notes it's empty. I'm shooting from the hip here, boys. So you okay. guys go ahead and... Uh, Really thinking them through last week didn't work for me, so this is a planned strategy. I'm just going to kind of okay. scroll through, and when I find something I like, I'm going to shoot from the hip. Fair enough. Garrett, I'll, I'll let you uh, run with this one you missed last week's segment. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, Trey, you get to be a Baylor Bear fan. TCU minus 2.5 feels like a really easy one to me. We all kind of talked about this one earlier, but, yeah, really easy line. Not enough points there, so give me TCU there. Uh, Mitch, you took the one that I wanted, so boo you, man. 
Uh, so as a return favor, I'm going to take UMass plus 33 and a half against Texas A&M, who hasn't scored that many points in a game all year. And I'm not sure that they have them in a, this week either. Uh, they I might win this game. Uh, you lose that many games in a row. I'm not super like super confident, but I get above 25 points and then prove to me that you deserve a 33 and a half point spread. So, That's yeah, fun. you get to be an Aggie fan twice this week. How is the get-in price for that game $32? Who is paying $32 to go watch that game? Nobody. I don't know, but I'm one of the suckers that's paying to be in the stadium the week after when they play LSU. So, uh, Really yeah. big fan of LSU, wanting to see the product up close. Good for you, Mitch. Evidently, yeah. I'm just I'm getting in my I'm getting into my April mindset. It's draft season already. Um, if you guys wonder what I'm doing during that AM game on ESPN Plus. I'm going to be playing golf, so I will be in a happy zone, a happy place where the ghost of Jimbo Pass cannot hurt me. And, um, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll see on on the score bug later in the day if A&M won, basically. Um, I'll go with my ledger picks. I'm going to go Liberty minus 10 against Virginia Tech. Garrett, you get to be a Hokie fan or just at least acknowledge the turkey can i formally protest yeah they they have been so bad this year which i already threw grant wells under the bus once in this podcast i'm gonna do it again i'm rooting for brent pry really am i want the Hokies to be back but it's not this year they're gone fishing for the 2022 season so liberty minus 10 kind of feels like a steal to me uh and then again apologies garrett at least i didn't bet it again (laughs) Trey, you get to be a Pitt Panther fan. I'm taking Duke plus seven and a half. I know Duke's on the road, but I feel like they're the better team here, and you're giving me more than a touchdown in this game. It worked for me against Miami uh, the the first time that I did this. So, hey, let's go back to the well. Let's take the Blue Devils plus seven and a half, and uh, I think that one should hopefully be locked up pretty easy. Yeah, that feels like a line that would have made sense last year, but really doesn't make a lot of sense this year. Sure. All right, we're shooting from the hip, boys. Uh, Mitch, you're up first. Uh, you get to be, oh gosh, who do I want to give you? You're going to get Iowa State this week. They Ooh. are three and a half point favorites at home against Texas Tech. I'm going to take take the Red Raiders plus the three and a half. It's not so a bad line. You get to root for the Cyclones this week, Mitch. And Garrett, let's see who we're going to give you. Come on, roll the dice. Drum roll, please. Make it spicy. Make it spicy. This is live radio right here. Super live radio. But planning it out did not work for me last True. week. I went, oh, <laughs> we're going to try something new here. Um, Spicy. You're going to salute the troops, Garrett. I will take UConn plus 10 at Army. Oh, man, I almost took that game. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Army is 10-point favorites against Army, UConn? our troops are 10-point favorites over the bowl-eligible Huskies. That's interesting. Army I don't know that I like that. Army six heading into this game. How is that? Yes, they are. They no, are I just... injured, missing a bowl for the first time in a while, and UConn is trying to show that they deserve to be in a bowl, sure. and this is their last regular season game. They probably also know that they might not get into one, unfortunately, because of the way the system's set up. Yeah, I will say this. I almost took that game against Utrey. I just couldn't bring myself to do UConn and UMass as my two teams that I picked this week. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't make myself pick both of those teams. Very, They're both solid very, bets this week. If they're I, good bets this week. If you're at Sportsbook, I might make a little parlay, Ooh. a little 11 a.m. pizza parlay. You would not put hard-earned American currency on UMass. There's no way. I might. Dude, 
A&M has not scored as many points as their favorite by this week. Uh, no, listen, That's including a game against Houston State. Yeah. They scored 31 against Sam Houston State. This line is, they need to score 34 to cover this one listen, if they shut UMass out. I am aware of the financials here, but that, oh, <laughs> I, I would rather just not, I'd go, I'm pulling a, a Jonah here. I'm going the opposite direction. Just not even going <laughs> to touch that game. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. It's it's going to be an ugly one. I I'm not expecting a lot of fun highlights from that game. I'll, no. I'll talk about the the 12 foot birdie putt that I make on one of the holes instead of this game next week. Just just cash that in. Um. All right, guys. Well, let's get out of here on that week 12 preview. A lot of postseason implications on the line again. Uh. Conference championships starting to be decided. We've got some teams locked in, some teams that are going for those slots this week. Obviously, rivalry week up on tap next week. We can't wait to preview that. We'll talk about all of uh, the games as they unfold in our next episode and look forward towards the postseason. It is staring us down the barrel as we speak. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 